Welcome to Why We Sing. We're going to start off by singing. I'm going to sing a few words, and I want you guys to finish the song, okay? A, B, C, D. Okay. That was a close one. Happy birthday. And the haters gonna... Sweet Caroline. Spirited group. Holy, holy. Songs are sticky, aren't they? They stick in our brains. Yeah, so as we just demonstrated, you just sang a song you probably learned somewhere around the age of three and four. The and happy birthday one. Maybe. Happy birthday, ABC, maybe not the haters song, but <laughs> although that might be that old for some of you. Anyway, songs are sticky. They're used to help us memorize things. They're used as education tools. They're also... <coughs> something for us to emotionally express things and relate to other people and relate to certain emotions. I'm sure each one of you has a song in mind when I say, think of a moment in life where a song deeply connected with you, you memorized every line and every time that comes on the radio, you go back to that place. This happens for all of us. And I think it's more than that we as humans have figured out that this is an educational tool or something to help us cope with our emotional experience. I actually think it goes much deeper than that, and that is that God has woven song into the fabric of creation. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Why do we sing? Why is this something that all of humanity seems to relate to? Whether it's you know, some tribe in the middle of the Congo who has their own songs to our American pop songs. Why is it that this is a common, unified human experience and expression? And to do that, we're going to take a look at the scope of singing in Scripture. And it's going to be a breeze by, but Allie's going to help us do that. Yeah. Um, to answer that question, why do we sing? I wanted to first look at why shouldn't we sing? Uh, and it's there in your packet. <clears throat> the first reason we shouldn't sing is in order to worship. What? What? Like, that's what we call the portion of our service where we sing. And that's like what we call the person who leads that portion or the worship leader. Okay, I don't really mean that. But what I, and it's okay that we have like common terminology. It's totally fine to use that terminology. What I mean is that singing is not the only way that we worship. It is one way, one great way. But it is only one of many ways that we can worship the Lord. Worship is anything we do that expresses the supreme, all-satisfying worth of God. I'll say that again. Worship is anything we do that expresses the supreme, all-satisfying worth of God. So that can be serving others. That can be academic pursuits. That can be sports, right? Bible study. Parenthood. Also singing, all of these things can be ways that we declare and show that Jesus is our King and he is worthy of our whole lives. So is singing a type of worship? Yes, of course it is. But it's just one of many. 
A second reason we shouldn't sing is to access the Holy Spirit or have a special spiritual encounter with God. I'm sure, I mean, this is a full room. Many of you have probably felt like you've, you've felt the Holy Spirit move more powerfully during music. It's a pretty common experience, but it's also a bit of a common misconception we, that we have to invite the Spirit in or that He particularly likes to show up during music. But guys, the Holy Spirit has already been graciously given to us in Christ. He's living in us. We've already been made new. We've already been, been transformed in Christ. We already have full access to God by the Spirit every moment of our Christian lives. So the Holy Spirit doesn't wait for tears or proper emotions or a sweet synth or a great instrumental or specific lights in order to move and work in us. He's in us all the time. So we don't have to look for a special encounter. We've already encountered him. Third, we shouldn't worship in order to move or we shouldn't sing, excuse me, in order to move God to hear us or to make him pleased with us. Again, guys, he is already 100% pleased with us in Christ. Jesus has already been our all-sufficient sacrifice to reconcile us with God. So God is not going to be moved by our righteousness and our singing or by our sin to love us any more or less because he already decided to love us before the creation of the world through Christ. He's already done it. So we have nothing to add to this relationship, right? In our singing, we are simply receivers and we reflect back to the Lord what he's already given to us. He's already moved toward us in love. We don't have to sing him near to us. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 sums up some of these ideas uh, really well. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So I'm being a little facetious, but these three reasons, in order to worship as if it's the only way, in order to have a special encounter with the Holy Spirit, in order to move God to love us, these are not reasons we have to sing. God has already done this. So why should we sing? That's why you're here, right? You want to talk about those reasons. Why should we sing? Um, this will be a sort of a fast-paced survey of the scriptures. I also wanted to give you a little bit bit of information. Uh, Gary, Gary and I were talking about it and looking into this. When we think of singing, we think of it in a very modern American way. Um, but often through the scriptures, Hebrew singing took the form of elevated speech. So you'll see sometimes in the scriptures it says, and they sang a song, and then you get the song. But other times it'll say, and they said, or they sang a song saying, and it's this subset of um, Hebrew poetry. And we see that a lot in the scripture. So that's going to come up a lot as we talk about this, especially in the Old Testament. But song is built into the very fabric of all creation throughout all time. That's the first reason we're going to talk about why we should sing. This will be our biggest point. And we see that at creation in the beginning. We see it through the whole unfolding of the plan of salvation in the Old and New Testament. And we see it at the end and forever in, in heaven. So let's take a look. In the beginning, <clears throat> the very first thing done corporately when there was more than one person, right? So two people in the presence of God, the very first thing done was singing. 
So God takes Adam and causes a sleep to fall upon him. This is in Genesis 2, 21 to 23. And he takes his rib and he makes a woman and he brings woman to the man. The scriptures say, then the man said, and it's this Hebrew poetry, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of, he just bursts, right? With this Hebrew poetry, it was the first corporate thing done is that man sang in wonder at what God had done. And we also see singing in creation itself. In Job 38, 4 to 7, it says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? This is Job, or God talking to Job. Tell me if you have understanding. When the morning songs, morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Psalm 98 tells us, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. From the beginning, in both all that God has created and us at creation, it's all been filled with singing. And we see this continue as the plan of salvation unfolds. In the Old Testament, we see the Israelites' relationship with the Lord. And in their worship of him and their relationship with him in the temple, singing is an integral part of their worship as they sing of the promise of salvation. In 1 Chronicles 15, 16, as the ark, it's just one example, as the ark is coming back to Jerusalem under David's leadership, this evidence of God's presence with them, David appoints a large group, like it's like 15 or 20, a large group of skilled men to sing and do music in order to raise sounds of joy. So all wrapped up in the Israelites' worship of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, singing was a very important part, a very important job. And then we see singing show up in the New Testament as the Messiah arrives. You're all probably very familiar with the Christmas story where where, um, the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds at night while they're tending their flocks. And he says, there's, there's great joy, good news that a savior is coming unto you who is born this day, Christ the Lord. And it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, poetry, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So Messiah arrives and they're singing. And then as Jesus accomplishes his earthly mission at the last supper with his disciples, Judas has just left the the table to go betray him. And it's the day before his crucifixion. He's about to head out to the garden to pray. It says in Mark 14, 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And it was likely that they sang Psalms uh, 113, 118, parts of those. So as he's heading to his crucifixion, there is song built in to that revelation of the plan of salvation. If we jump ahead after Jesus is risen and we look ahead to the new heaven and the new earth and to um, forever in heaven, uh, heaven is just stuffed full with song. I will read just one of the many references to singing in Revelation 5, 8 to 14. I'm going to skip around a little bit. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, and they sang a new song saying, 
Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. They're not done yet. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, in case we missed anything, and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Let us sing this song forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Okay. Music and song is built into the very fabric of creation throughout all time. So what? Great. What does it matter? Obviously, this really matters to God. He has very purposefully put music in from beginning to end throughout the plan of salvation. If singing is a key ingredient of all of those things, then we should sing. We should join them. Okay, that was our first point. Singing, we should sing because it's built into the very fabric of creation throughout all time. We'll go through these next ones a little faster. Why else should we sing? Number two, God himself sings. In Zephaniah 3, 14 to 17, it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult, exult over you with loud singing. This isn't quiet singing. Loud, like unabashed singing. So guys, if we are made in God's image and God sings, we should sing. Number three, Jesus sings. We saw just before he sang at his Passover supper with the disciples. It also says in Hebrews 2, 12 to 15, it was fitting that he, God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus sings. And if we are to grow in being Christ-like, if we want to follow our Savior, then we should sing. All right, not only do we see song in the Lord and in his character and all is created, we also see song in us. Number four, his grace makes us sing. Guys, this is preloaded. You don't have to teach a toddler to sing. They just make up songs. It's preloaded in us. The beauty and the glory of Jesus is the cause of our songs. His power and his goodness draws worship out of our hearts. And often one of the most fitting tools we can use to, to do something with that, to express it, is song. It's a very responsive act to who the Lord is 
and what he has done. And we see this all through the Psalms, this cause and effect type of response to the Lord. Psalm 100 is just one example. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Why? Know the Lord, that he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Again, it continues. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. God graciously acts and we can't help but respond. The Psalms are songs. The whole book of, the, of Psalms are songs. And there's other hymns and songs referenced in the scriptures. And they're often referenced in the New Testament as essential tools for responding to God and his grace. Paul had psalms and hymns memorized. Remember, he sang them in jail and there was an earthquake. These are powerful tools that he's given us. And it helps us as Christians internally process and then externally express our delight in God's grace. So if his grace is so good, and this is so true, then we should sing. All right, last reason, but certainly not least in our little biblical survey here. Singing is commanded. It's commanded in scripture for many purposes and many situations. I want to avoid some negative connotations here. This is a good command. This is a delightful command. This is God like, I command you to be happy, right? This is a really blessed gift from the Lord. The Bible has over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. And the Psalms, which is the longest book of the Bible, that book of songs, contains tons of reasons and exhortations to sing. Um, we see specifically twice in the New Testament, we are commanded to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together when we meet up together. That's in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. And in Hebrews 13, 15, there's another exhortation. Through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So guys, if God commands us to sing, we should sing. We should obey that good, kind command. There's a quote at the top of your outline from John Piper that says the reality of God and Christ and creation and salvation and heaven and hell are simply too great for mere speaking. They must also be sung. If God has designed his world this way with singing deeply rooted into all of time, all of creation, all of us, all of his character, if this is a pathway to a delight in him, then we should sing. We should join him in this very purposeful thing that he's done, this beautiful command that he's given. We should sing and we should sing often, right? And we're not even talking about instruments or instrumental music. See the Psalms. Like it's all over the place. We're just talking about the voice expressing with our voices praise to God. It's a kind gift and a great tool for us to enjoy being his people and to reflect his image and to participate in what he's already built into the world. 
So I hope that has helped build a foundation for why we should sing. We're going to take these biblical truths now and figure out how they should affect our everyday lives, our head, our hands, our hearts, and our hands. So Allie just did a flyby of the scriptures, real fast, 30,000 foot scope view, big picture. And I hope that was uh, conveyed in a way that it really does convince you that singing is good for us because of how it was designed into the fabric of creation, that God does it himself, Jesus does it, all those things. But I want to take us down to ground level. And I want to show you that not only are all of those things true about singing, but that there's a real practical effect that singing disciples us. It helps to disciple our thinking, our emotions, and our actions. Another John Piper quote says this, Christian singing is the musical use of the voice to express, get this, truth that accords with God's word and feelings that accord with God's worth. Did you catch that? So it, it impacts the thinking on God's truth and it impacts the feeling on God's worth. And both of these help to disciple us as we walk out the Christian life. So we're gonna take a look at a song in scripture, Psalm 62, it's in your pack, it's on the uh, first page of your outline. And we're gonna see how this is gonna disciple us as a song. Now, I want you to catch this, that the main point of this song is that our hope is not in man position or status, but it is in God alone that we can place our trust. So the main point is that we can't place our hope in man. We can only place our hope in God. And just, just to be clear, the reason we picked this song in the Psalms is because it's a song that we are actually singing this week. You'll notice it come from up front, Psalm 62. Uh, My soul will wait is the title of the song. So you'll see that throughout the week. Uh, so let's let's see how this psalm impacts our thinking and our feeling and our actions. And to do that, uh, we're going to read it first. And I left my Bible over here. So Psalm sixty-two. Starting in verse one, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man and batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, the only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hope on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render a man to a man according to his work. So 
to really break this song down, we're going to study it a little bit. We're going to see, again, how it impacts our thinking and our emotions and our actions. And to do that, you'll see the boxes in your outline labeled head, heart, and hands. Uh, so to really break this apart, I'd love for us to start to call out all of the analogies that are in it. Analogy would, for example, be like in verse 2 where it says, He alone is my rock. God is not literally a rock. This is an analogy. It's, he's saying he is like a rock. But he's making a really strong analogy because he's saying my rock. God is my rock. So what other analogies are in the psalm? Take a minute, search through, and we're going to start with God. What are the analogies that directly relate to God? So we'll start there. He's a rock. What else? Oh. Fortress. Fortress. Connor. Refuge. Refuge. What else? Salvation. Yeah. Glory. Good. Mm-hmm. Very nice. All right. I think that are that's all the major ones for God. Now let's make a comparison. What are the analogies related to man? Delusion. Delusion. Great. A leaning wall. Leaning wall. Oh, I heard it. Somebody whispered it. Tottering fence. Tottering fence. I think there's one other. Breath. Breath. Where do you see that? Verse 9, those of lowest state are but a breath. Oh, breath. Sorry, I thought you said wrath. And I was like, I don't remember that. <laughs> breath, yes. <laughs> There's one more. It's a little tricky, mostly because we don't use this device in society anymore. All right, I'm just going to give it to you. It's in, also in verse 9. In the balances, they go up. So weight and balance was this thing that you put weights on one side and you measure something on the other side. And so the analogy here is that in the delusion of man being in these balances, we think that riches should go down, right? If somebody has great wealth, we're like, oh, that guy's important. But God is saying, no, it's a delusion. It's actually going to go up in the balances if, if the man has riches. Okay. So just on analogy alone in this song, I want to ask you all, if you are in need desperate, struggling with something, who are you going to run to, God or man, in this, in this context? God. Why? Uh, just from the words being used, it seems like he's a lot better option. Right. <laughs> right. So perfectly yeah. spoken. Because uh -huh. are you going to run to a building that has tottering walls and leaning fences, or are you going to run to a fortress? I would say you'd run to the fortress. If, if you're in need, if you're, if you're desperate, there's, 
you know, war coming your way or storm coming your way, you don't want to take refuge in this place. You want to take it where God is. So immediately, I think you should be starting to make some connections that this is going to impact your thinking and your emotions as you were to sing this song. So let's take a look at that. Knowing these truths, that running to man is only going to result in instability, delusion, and running to God is going to result in stability. What kind of truths start to get into your head? In other words, this is a, another way of thinking about theology. What ideas about God do we start to adopt as we look at this song? He's strong. Yeah. In your head, you get the idea that he's strong. He's safe. He's safe. Excellent. Place of peace. Place of peace. Place of hope. Steadfast. Steadfast. Enduring. Yeah. Caring. Caring. Awesome. You guys are doing great. Mm -hmm. So in your head, you start to get a theology about who God is in his safety, his security, his stability. All right. In your theology, and you compare that to man, what's the difference? What do you start to think about man? Yeah. Or at least not nearly as reliable as God is. Yeah. Fallible. Fallible, yeah. Man weak. Weak, yeah. Uh, in verses three and four, it seems like they're deceitful. Like they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Yeah. And so I don't think this song is trying to breed in you a distrust of man. But more so, you start to get the idea of, if I'm going to run to somebody for salvation, it's certainly not going to be another human. It's going to be God. How does this impact our emotions? What does this do for us? As, as our thinking develops in this, and this song starts to put these words in our, uh, well, in our minds, what does that do for our hearts? Yeah. Kind of feels insecurity about who God is. Yeah. Security is not just an idea. It's also an emotion. So we see that some of these ideas start to trickle down into the heart and make you feel things. What else? It makes you react to something like prayer other than advice of some sort. I might say, yeah, that, that's both a heart mm -hmm. and a hands. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Because I think the sentiment here is that so I can... maybe dependence. Yeah. Perfect. We knew exactly what you were thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Makes your soul quiet and patient as you wait on God. Yeah, that, that's the, a refrain is, for God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence. It's the head counseling the heart. I, I don't remember. <laughs> So what actions might this then lead us to? So this is not explicitly in the song. Some songs will explicitly say, in response, you should be doing. I think there might be one explicit thing, but a lot of this is also implicit. So what explicit or implicit things do you see that should drive from what you understand in your head and your heart and as they kind of swirl together and your emotions feeling one thing, telling your heart to think this more strongly, your head 
thinking this more strongly, telling your heart to feel this more strongly. This is discipleship going on within your own head and your heart. What actions should be a response to these things? Give thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Prayer, give thanks. What else? Trust in him. Yeah. Actually walk in faithful obedience to who he is. Remembering your freedom in the Lord. Yeah. That's a both action and back up to the head. Resting? Absolutely. Resting is an activity that all of you should be doing this week. All right. I'm going to pause this there because I, I think the picture has been painted. You're starting to get to see how songs can disciple us, especially when you combine it with the fact of that it, because you've added music to it, you've made it rhythmic, you've made it rhyming, you've made refrains. All of these things help to embed the truths about God into our hearts, helping to address how we think about him and how we feel about his worth. So the two weeks leading up to focus were probably some of the two hardest weeks of my year. Getting ready for this conference, I got a stomach bug, and then I got strep throat immediately after that, all the while trying to take care of my family and get here. It was tough. But praise God that I was a part of the worship team because I was rehearsing this very song. And in the chorus of the song that we're singing this week, it says, you're my solid rock and my salvation, my steadfast hope that won't be shaken. My soul will wait, my soul will wait for you. So even though I was experiencing such physical hardship in just trying to get here, I had this chorus that kept coming to mind because I had taken time to sing the song over and over again as I rehearsed it. And it put it in my heart and into my head such that when I experienced these hardships, I could remember truth. I could disciple myself. This is all a part of why we sing. Is it's a beautiful God-given tool to disciple not just yourselves, but each other as we sing together. And that's just what we're going to do right now is we're going to sing My Soul Will Wait. Yeah, we can't talk about how we should sing and then not sing, right? So that's that little half sheet of paper. So think about the truth of God's word. And and just as a little little plug here, we've talked about why we sing. We're going to be talking about what to sing on Thursday as one of the, the mini breakouts. And we can talk more about the particular words. But we wanted to pick a song built on this psalm on, pur- on purpose to show how songs can disciple. You want to pray for us to close, Gary? Yeah. Father, we give you praise and glory and thank you that you are king of the universe, having woven this beautiful tool into the fabric of creation, that we can delight and respond to you and elevate our voice to you. Father, I pray that each one in this room would remember to do this often as it is a beautiful gift. Father, may all the glory be given to you in our voices and our singing. Amen. Amen.